Scripture reading this morning comes from Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 23. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealously, jealously, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, and factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Good morning. It's a blessing to be together. We're thankful for the time that we have to worship our God and to study from His Word. We're glad that you're here, that you have an interest in spiritual things, and we've been able to think about and remember our Lord and our Savior and His death and His sacrifice on the cross. And you're an encouragement to us. And if we have those who are visiting with us, we have, which we do in our audience, we're especially glad that you are here. We hope that you will stick around and get to visit with us after our services have concluded this morning. Despite what is pictured here, this isn't a Thanksgiving sermon. Uh, Someone thought it might have been. I guess they thought there was a cornucopia or something on there. But this morning we are going to be looking at a passage here in Galatians chapter 5, what we refer to as the fruit of the Spirit. But before we get there, we're going to have a very specific application of how and where in a relationship that is extremely special to us that we need to be certain that the fruit of the Spirit lives within. And that is within the marriage relationship. And God has certainly blessed us with marriage. That is a unique relationship that has been divinely instituted that God recognizes and which He honors. In Hebrews chapter 13 and in verse 4, The Hebrew writer says marriage is to be held in honor among all and the marriage bed is to be undefiled for fornicators and adulterers. God will judge. The Lord created woman because he saw in the beginning in Genesis chapter 2 that it was not good for man to be alone. And so he fashioned woman from the rib of Adam and he created her because to give Adam as a helper, a helpmate, to help meet for him. And since the beginning, since the very beginning, God has had a plan and a purpose for marriage, and that is that marriage would last and that it would be a lifelong relationship between a man and a woman. In Genesis chapter 2, in Genesis chapter 2 and in verses 24 and 25, we have here the commentary, if you will, from Moses as the author, and he offers us this explanation of what marriage really is in the very beginning. In Genesis chapter 2 and verses 24 and 25, he says, For this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. 
And Jesus, He uses this passage in Matthew chapter 19 whenever He is being questioned by the Pharisees about His take on divorce and whether you could just get up and get a divorce if you wanted to. And that was something that was debated and contested among the Jews in Jesus' day. And in Matthew chapter 19, when Jesus is dealing with that question, He appeals to this very passage and what was going on in Genesis chapter, or Matthew chapter 19 and in verse 4. It says, And He answered and said, Have you not read that He who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And then He concludes based upon that passage. He uses a necessary inference here. And he says in verse 6, So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. And he says, based upon what you have in Scripture in the Old Testament, you have to come to the conclusion that marriage is something that should not just be done away with. It should not just be thrown off and disregarded. Because God's plan from the very beginning was that it would be between a man and a woman for life. It's a very simple plan that God had instituted in the very beginning. But as anyone that has ever been married, or anyone that is contemplating marriage, we need to recognize that marriage can be hard. Marriage can be difficult. It's not always going to be easy. There is... There are going to be seasons where things are cold and you feel distant. There are going to be times where one of you may be dealing with issues that the other does not really feel and, and embrace. And so there can be times where you feel very distanced from one another. And you can read countless books and you can look at all the articles and the blog posts that might be online. You can go and write in or, or send in uh, letters to, is it Dr. Laura? She was always the one popular in the 90s, I don't remember. You can all, always ask for popular, you know, advice from someone. Some of it may be helpful, some of it may not. Nevertheless, I think the one place that we do need to absolutely always turn to, no matter when we may be facing challenges in any relationship, is God's Word. And we do this commonly, don't we? And you probably go to a wedding and probably eight or nine times out of ten you will hear the passage from 1 Corinthians 13 quoted, won't you? In 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and in verse 4, love is patient, love is kind, it is not jealous, love does not brag and is not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly, it does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. We probably hear that passage quoted a lot. We may even have that decorated somewhere in our house, on our walls, or on some kind of picture frame or picture that we have. That to remind us of the significance and the importance of the marriage relationship and the kind of love that is supposed to be within our home. And for that's an excellent definition of love and the kind of love that we need to have. 
between a husband and wife. But I think another passage that can help us is in Galatians chapter 5. In Galatians chapter 5 and in verses 22 and 23 where Paul describes the fruit of the Spirit. And I think if there is something that we could turn to, if there's a passage in God's Word that could help us, that would build a lasting and enduring and a beautiful marriage, it's this passage. It's looking at the elements that are part of the fruit of the Spirit that we need to have within our relationship between a husband and a wife. And this could apply to any relationship that we might have. It could apply with as a parent towards a child or a child towards a parent. It could, re, it could describe our relationships with our brothers and sisters in the Lord's church. And I think it needs to apply in all sorts of areas in our life. But specifically this morning, I want us to think about a very specific application of how we need to be cultivating the fruit of the Spirit in our marriages. Because this could be something that helps us build that enduring and lasting and beautiful marriage that we all have longed for, that we've been committed to. And the first thing that he says that the fruit of the Spirit is, he says it's love. As we just read from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we saw a very good definition of what love is. That love is that which is... It believes all things and hopes all things. It love, love never fails. We see those kinds of understandings of what love is. But I think also we need to understand that there is the fact that we need to have a love that is modeled and shaped after Jesus. And that applies for husbands towards their wives and wives towards their, their husbands. In Ephesians chapter 5, in just a few pages over in my Bible, in Ephesians chapter 5, notice what... Paul says here to the Ephesians, he says in verse 1, in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 1, he says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love. Now there's a couple things I want you to notice there. That this is a very generic command, isn't it? He's not saying this is something that applies just for the husbands or just for the, the men or just for the ladies. This is something that applies to anyone that is a child of God, doesn't it? And he says that this kind of love that we are all commanded to have is supposed to be modeled after God and His love, to be an imitator, to mimic or to mime. You know, you see that? the mimes on TV where they are always following the pattern, they're mirroring each other. That's what you're supposed to be. You're supposed to mirror God and His actions. And you're supposed to do what He does. And that we, when we see God love and how He loves through Jesus Christ, He says, walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave Himself up for us in offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. The love that we need to have within our marriage is not just a superficial, emotional, kind of Twitter-pated sort of love. It's not just an emotional and good feeling that we have. It's a deep-seated, committed kind of love that we have towards our significant other, our spouse, our husband or our wife. And as we continue on in this chapter, in Ephesians chapter 5, and in verse... Uh, in, verses, in verse 25, he says, Husbands, love your wives 
just as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself up for her. Their husbands are commanded to have the same kind of love that Jesus has. And sometimes I think we can forget that wives are also commanded to love their husbands. It's not in this passage, but in the book of Titus, in Titus chapter 2. In Titus chapter 2 and in verse 4, Paul, as he's writing to Titus, as he's talking about uh, the older ladies in the church, the older women, how they are to behave, he says in verse 4, so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands and to love their children. And so women, you are supposed to love your husband as well. That love is something that is supposed to characterize our home and our relationship when this is something that is based upon a choice of a firm covenant that we have made with our spouse. It is a love that is based upon a promise that we are going to love and to cherish till death do us part. That's the kind of love that the fruit of the Spirit is and that we need to have in our marriages. We also need to have joy in our marriage. Sometimes joy is, I think, misunderstood. We conflate joy and happiness sometimes. And a lot of times we are happy based upon mere external circumstances. But as anyone that is married, they will tell you there are going to be times that are rough and that are challenging where your, your husband may disappoint you, your wife may uh, disappoint you, and that there are going to be times where we struggle to have joy or ha- any sense of happiness within the marriage relationship. And what we have to understand is that joy is not based upon anyone else and their treatment towards us. Joy is a sense of our internal satisfaction that we adopt, an internal mindset that we adopt that guides us through the most difficult of circumstances. In Philippians chapter 1, I think we can see this illustrated very well. In Philippians chapter 1, and in verses 17, beginning there, in Philippians chapter 1 and in verse 17, the Apostle Paul, he's in prison as he's writing this. And he's talking about how some are proclaiming Christ and they're preaching the gospel, but not for the right reasons. And notice what Paul says. Notice his attitude about all of this and what he says. In verse 17, he says, The former proclaimed Christ out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in this I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Paul, he's here in prison and he's saying some are preaching the gospel and whatever that it's doing, it's causing Paul harm. And then you think they are getting away with it and maybe Paul's their scapegoat, that Paul is the one who's getting the, the brunt of it and they're getting to preach the gospel for their own selfish ambitions, for their own selfish motives. And Paul's the one who's just getting to get all the, the bad stuff. 
That would be a reason right there to not have a very joyful disposition, to become very cynical, to become very sarcastic in your mindset and your thinking, to be very warped in your view of other people. And isn't that what happens sometimes? After the honeymoon is over, we realize that the person that we married, they have their struggles, they have some flaws that we probably knew about, but we just didn't see or appreciate as much. And we start becoming cynical, we become very sarcastic, we become demeaning, we become rude. And there's tension, there's strife in that marriage relationship. And we say, well, it just don't make me happy anymore. I have no joy. I think we need to understand that joy is something that you choose. No matter what else may be happening, no matter what your husband or your wife might choose to do, you are the only one that can make the choice to live with rejoicing in your life. And that means that you must choose to live a life of joy even when your husband or your wife does not choose joy. Maybe whenever they are choosing to be cynical and choosing to have a very negative outlook, you choose joy. Even when things may be hard and the circumstances are difficult, you still need to choose joy. Joy is a decision that we can make due to knowing that we are His child. And that we are loved by God. And that through Jesus we can endure whatever hardships may come our way. Joy is something that can become a bedrock for us to navigate all of the difficulties that may come. Which leads us to the third fruit of the Spirit. And that is peace. You know, sometimes we think of peace as the absence of chaos, don't we? Or it's the absence of conflict. And sometimes that may be peace in one sense. But I think there are going to be times where there is chaos, where there are trials that may face us. And we might all have to face in some different way Maybe trying to increase our family to have a child. It may be some difficulty going on with our work and our careers. It might be things that are going on at church that we are struggling with. There may be chaos. There may be conflict that is taking place. And I would suggest even when there may not be peace in an external sense, peace is still something that you can have within yourself. That it can be this inner stillness in the midst of the chaos and the conflict. Again, turning to the book of Philippians in Philippians chapter 4. In Philippians chapter 4 and in verses 6 and 7, notice what Paul says here. He says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. 
Notice what a blessing the peace of God is there. And he says that it's, it surpasses all comprehension. And it's something that we can't maybe necessarily understand or define in a very clear, articulate way. But it's something that can guard us and protect us in our life. In the midst of struggles, when there are anxieties, when there are worries that are combating us and that are beating us down, peace, very much like joy, is this internalized sense. It's not based on ex external circumstances and behavior. And so that we can always seek to maintain this peace and have this peace as a guard and as a protection for us. Even whenever your spouse may confess sin to you. Even when they say, I have done wrong to you. Or whenever you may be facing financial struggles and difficulties. Maybe when you're arguing and disagreeing more than you're getting along. If you have this sense of inner peace that can help you navigate the chaos and the struggles and the trials. If you can find and maintain that inner peace, it will help you throughout those struggles. And we have to always bear in mind that peace and joy, it's something that no one else can make that choice for us, can they? No one can be joyful for me. And no one can strive for peace for me. And I would tell you that if you are depending upon your husband or your wife to bring joy and peace into your life, then that's an unhealthy kind of relationship right there. That you need to have these on your own. That you need to be bearing your, the fruit on your own. The joy and the peace that is required. In Romans chapter 12. In Romans chapter 12. Notice what Paul says in verse 18. In Romans the 12th chapter and in verse 18 he says, If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Now whenever there is conflict, whenever there is a struggle, in marriage, when there is a fight, whenever you, you know, have that fight about who squeezes the toothpaste the right way or the wrong way, um, and I, they tell me there's a right way, I, I think I do it the wrong way, of course. But whenever that fight comes about, whenever there is that conflict that takes place that day, Remember that you always have the responsibility to pursue peace. You always have the responsibility to pursue peace. Even if you were not the instigator. Even if you think that you did nothing wrong to start the conflict. And if we will all own up to that responsibility that it is each of us, each of us have the responsibility to pursue peace, then there would be a lot less conflict in marriage, wouldn't but what happens so many times is instead of looking and pursuing peace, we want to dig in our heels, don't we? We want to say, well, I'm right and they're wrong. And that's not healthy for the marriage relationship. The fourth fruit of the Spirit that Paul tells us that we need to be seeking and pursuing is patience. 
or long-suffering. Patience is that adopting a long-term perspective on marriage and life. In the book of Ecclesiastes, in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, Solomon says in verse 9, Do not be eager in your heart to be angry, for anger resides in the bosom of fools. What wise words that could help anyone who is married, right? Now we need to be patient and long-suffering. We don't need to be quick to be angry. And we need to have this sense of patience that we develop. And we have to guard against anger. And a lot of this is easier said than done, isn't it? But whenever our husband or wife does something that may annoy us, it might be squeezing that toothpaste the wrong way, or it might be putting the roll of toilet paper uh, on the wrong way, or just putting it on the, on the back of the seat. <laughs> and it's not where it needs to be. Whenever that, there are things that cause us to be frustrated, we need to still act with patience. And patience may mean that we have to quit preaching at and complaining to our spouse and begin praying for them. Because most things, if given enough time, will work themselves out. Plus, we have to also understand that it's not always our job to fix our spouse. It is our job to help our spouse. Because when God created a woman... In Genesis chapter 2. In Genesis chapter 2 and in verse 18. It says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. We need to view our role as a husband or as a wife to be a help to our spouse. Not to just fix all of the problems that we may think they have. We need to help them through those problems. And so patience is going to be required. Now that doesn't mean we should underreact to significant problems. It doesn't mean that we should overreact to the minor problems. But we have to recognize it is always our job to help our spouse and we have to keep that in the long-term perspective. We have to have long-suffering. Rather than being short-tempered, we had to suffer long. And we don't need to just think long-term as, well, i got to put up with this for the next 50 years. <laughs> That's not long enough. Long-term is viewing it in perspective of eternity. And I would imagine many of the things that we have fought and wasted words over and had emotions and feelings that have been hurt. And if we kept things in perspective of eternity, I bet some of the things that we would consider as annoyances were extremely minor and not worth even bringing up or dealing with, at least in the way that we dealt with it. Because there is a way that God expects us to act 
in Ephesians chapter 4. In Ephesians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul, as he's writing about unity within the Lord's church, he says in verse 2, that with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love. Showing tolerance or forbearance. That we need to forbear with one another. It doesn't mean that we just sweep things under the rug and ignore them. But that does mean that we need to keep everything in perspective. And that some of the things that we might be ready to pick a fight about just may not be worth fighting over. And then we need to act with kindness. Kindness is not a sign of a weak personality. Kindness is not permissiveness and always just giving in to a stronger-willed spouse. However, someone who is arrogant and proud often will interpret kindness in these ways. But God expects us as Christians to be kind, and we need to have kindness within our marriages. Living by the Spirit of God requires that. Kindness is a powerful display of leadership and self-regulation. Kindness is acting like Jesus acted. Acting with kindness means that we can oppose someone who is strong-willed while being able to adapt and being flexible in order to help our spouse. And so we need to pursue kindness and patience, peace, joy, love, all of these things. But we also need to be seeking after what is good in our marriages. Goodness is something that can be hard to define. If I were to ask you, what is goodness? You probably couldn't tell me a definition. You could probably illustrate it for me though, couldn't you? You could probably say, well, this is a good thing. You could identify what is good. Because we usually know what is good when we see it, and we know what is bad when we see it. But there's something that's a little tricky about goodness, and that is that it cannot be measured by actions alone. You cannot measure goodness by actions alone. Because there are some people who will be very manipulative, won't they? And they will do good things. They will give you nice gifts. They will tell you all the things that you want to hear, right? And you might say, well, that's so good of them. But then what are they doing that for? They're doing it for their own pleasure, for their own satisfaction, because they want to twist and manipulate you. And there are some people that you might marry that can be like that. Where they manipulate you, and that they are self-seeking, and they want to shift the blame when they need to. They want to put guilt on you. Goodness is not measured just by actions alone. It's measured in selflessness and compassion and love. When you think about that. Selflessness and compassion and love. And in the midst of this evil world that we live in, in all the wickedness that is out there, all the manipulation, all the sin, and all the wickedness that is out in the world, you have the responsibility and you have the power to be the one good thing in your husband or your wife's world. Maybe they have a bad boss that is always riding them. And you can be the one good sense of relief for them at the end of the day. 
Maybe someone has unreliable co-workers. Or maybe someone is dealing with a disappointing family member. And you can be the one good source for them in their life. We need more goodness in our marriage relationships. We also need to have faithfulness in our marriage relationship. Faithfulness recognizes and honors the boundaries that are placed upon the marriage union and not resenting them, but embracing those boundaries. It's recognizing that I have committed myself in a covenant relationship for life with you, my husband or my wife. And if we're faithful and we honor those boundaries, then it's going to promote intimacy and connection where we are going to be able to rely upon that person or we're going to feel like we can communicate and talk with them and openly, without distraction. And if you face that temptation to be unfaithful to your spouse, we've all faced various kinds of temptations and we don't need to judge anyone for the temptation. We need to confess and speak with someone. Because Satan wins when we are silent regarding our temptations. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, we need to be reminded of the words of the Apostle Paul in verse 13 that no temptation has overtaken you but such as is common to man, and God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also so that you will be able to endure it. We need to look for that way of escape. We need to confess the temptation. We need to visit with an elder or a preacher. We need to talk to someone. If our faithfulness is being challenged and Satan is trying to work on us and tempt us and he thinks he can cause us to be weakened right there, we need to speak with someone. Because when we are silent, Satan wins. We also need to have gentleness in our relationship. That means that we need to not watch just what we say, we need to also watch how we say things. Because if we have a harsh and critical tone in our voice with our spouse, and if we only offer hypercritical judgment when they mess up, then we're not going to be perceived as that safe harbor, that good place that they can come to. We need to be a safe harbor of gentleness, love, and patience for our spouse. And we need to remember that their reactions will oftentimes be based upon our words. In the book of Proverbs, in Proverbs chapter 15, in Proverbs chapter 15, and in verse 1, Solomon says here, A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. How many, how many fights and arguments that take place between a husband and wife could be avoided if we would have just used a different tone of voice? If we had just said something in a slightly different way, that was a little less sarcastic or a little less cynical, if we were a little bit more patient and gentle with them in our words... Because 
Our words will have an effect. It's not just something that's said in a vacuum. It's something that will have an effect on their reaction. And so we need to remember that their reactions will often be based upon our words. And that a gentle answer turns away wrath. We need to remember that and live by that in our homes, and in our families, and in our marriages. And then finally, we need to add the fruit of self-control. Because we live in a very selfish world, don't we? We live in a very independent kind of society where it's about me first. Where we think about ourselves first and what we need and what we want and what goals we might have. We don't think about someone else. But then you enter two people in a marriage relationship and it's not about you anymore. It's about the other person. And you have to think about what they need. You have to think about their wants and their goals first before your own. And self-control requires evaluating what your spouse needs in relation to your needs. And I think there's a lot of value in self-control. That we learn to say no to what we may want and yes to what your spouse may want or need. And you may find that practicing self-control is much more valuable when you make a sacrifice of what you want for the benefit of your spouse. Because if we want to have a blessed and a fruitful marriage, then we need to have self-control. In Proverbs chapter 25, in Proverbs the 25th chapter and in verse 28, notice what is said here. In Proverbs chapter 25 and in verse 28, it says, Like a city that is broken into and without walls is a man who has no control over his spirit. And if we do not have self-control over ourselves, then it will reap only pain and misery and destruction in our marriage. And you know who has the responsibility to practice self-control? You. Your spouse can't do it for you, can they? You have to do it for yourself. Now you think about marriages, and we live in a world and a society that divorce is rampant. There, people do not value the institution of marriage anymore. Fewer and fewer people are getting married now. And marriages crumble and fall apart very quickly. And I would suggest to you that it is in part because people have abandoned practicing the fruit of the Spirit in marriages. And instead, people have lived by the works of the flesh that Paul contrasts the fruit of the Spirit with. Turning back to Galatians chapter 5, our text that we read this morning, in Galatians chapter 5 and in verse 19, he says, now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, 
dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. Marriages are destroyed when we quit living by the fruit of the Spirit and when we introduce the works of the flesh into our marriage. Sexual immorality, for instance, that he talks about here. Sexual immorality. You introduce sexual immorality into the marriage relationship that breaks that whole covenant of faithfulness, doesn't it? There are trust issues that begin to take place. When there is adultery and fornication, when there is pornography, anything like that that is introduced, it can rip and tear apart a marriage. Or when there is strife and enmity and outburst of anger. When, there, when no one is able to speak calmly and rationally in the marriage relationship. When there is strife, when there is gossip, or when there is put-downs about your spouse. And when there is avoidance of real communication with your husband or with your wife. When there's envying or drunkenness, it can tear and rip apart a marriage. And the sad thing is, when any of those things are introduced into the marriage relationship, it can not only destroy the marriage, it can destroy at least one person's soul, if not both. In Galatians chapter 5 and verse 21, notice what he says after he mentions envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Introducing the works of the flesh can jeopardize your marriage, but they can also jeopardize your soul. So we need to ask ourselves, is the fruit of the Spirit in your marriage? And if it is not, then begin today to cultivate and to grow those fruits in your relationship with one another. Put on that love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Pursue those things in your life and in your marriage. Because the fruit of the Spirit needs to be evident in our lives and especially in our marriages. And if the fruit of the Spirit can grow in our marriages, then it will mold us and transform us into what we ought to be. That is more like Jesus. If we can bear that good fruit, then it will. That's what we need to be doing to have a life that is like Christ. We need to remember that if we quit bearing fruit or if our fruit becomes rotten, then God will cut us off. and We will not be able to enter the kingdom of heaven. We need to bear good fruit for the Lord and bear the fruit of the Spirit. This morning, if you're not a child of God, we'd encourage you to become a Christian. And if you need to name the name of Christ and be baptized and have your sins washed away.
We want to encourage you to make that choice today to become His child. And if you are here this morning and you've not been living faithfully, you've not had that kind of faithfulness that you need to have in your marriage relationship or towards God, we want you to check on your life, evaluate if you have sinned and fallen short, confess those things that you've done which are wrong, and pray that God would forgive you. We're here to help you and encourage you in whatever way we can. If you're subject to the Lord's invitation, would you come now as we stand and as we sing?